In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So perhaps you've heard this joke. How many psychiatrists does it take to change a light bulb? Only one, but the light bulb really needs to want to change. I know, it's a bad one. They get better. How many gods does it take to save a human being? Only one. But the human being doesn't even have to want to be saved. Did you catch that? The human being doesn't even have to want to be saved. Salvation is God's doing, not ours. God is so great so gracious, so generous, that we don't have to do anything to contribute to salvation on our own. We don't even have to have the desire to be saved. That's what the Lutheran Reformation was all about 500 years ago, and that's what the gospel reading from John is talking about. It's what I think the Christian faith is all about. So if you get it and you don't need to listen to it again, sit this sermon out. Check your emails. Go have a cup of tea. But if you don't get it or you're confused about it or you just want to hear it again because it is such good news, then you can keep listening. In today's gospel, Jesus offers freedom to the Jewish questioners. He says, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They respond by saying, well, we've been in bondage to no one. And then Jesus points out that participation in sin is bondage to sin and that from that bondage, No one can free themselves. Only someone with greater authority and power than the one who holds you in bondage can set you free. Because if you had the power, you wouldn't be in bondage in the first place, right? So we can't set ourselves free on our own, so someone else must do it. And who is the one who not only has the authority and the power to set us free, but also has the will to do it, Jesus, the Son of God. If Jesus declares then that we are freed from bondage, then we are free indeed. There is no other who has the ability to do that. So, what do we have to do to convince Jesus to set us free. Absolutely nothing. We don't give Jesus the power or the authority. These come from God the Father, not from you and me. And you certainly don't give Jesus the will to do this. His will to redeem humankind existed right from the beginning. But can Jesus free us even if we don't want to be set free? 
or if we have no faith in him, or if we don't believe in him at all? Of course he can. Jesus has the power and the authority and the will to love and forgive us at any point in our life. He doesn't need our permission or our approval. He doesn't need our faith or our belief. He doesn't need our piety or good works. He doesn't need anything from us, even though all those things are good, in order to do what is in his own nature to do. Although this is abundantly clear in the gospel and equally clear in the writings of St. Paul and other parts of scripture, the church in its history had hidden that from people, especially in the days of Martin Luther and other reformers. So, for example, the required ritual in confession was three steps long. First, you had to feel remorseful for your sin, and that's not a bad thing. Then you had to have a priest hear your confession and pronounce absolution. That's not a bad thing either. And third, you had to make a satisfaction for your sin by offering an act of contrition, which could have been prayers or offerings or whatever in that moment the priest decided was appropriate. When you had completed those three steps, and only then was your forgiveness and salvation assured. So Martin Luther and Philip Melanchthon and others rejected this notion because it was contrary, they thought, to the teaching of the gospel, which says that salvation depends entirely on God and on, not on anything that we do. So don't get me wrong, confession is a good thing whether it's made in a general and corporate sort of way like we do here on Sunday mornings or whether it's through private confession and absolution, which I offer to anyone at any time. Confession is a good thing because it puts us in a right position to hear God's word of forgiveness. And confession is a good thing because it provides healing from guilt and shame. And confession is a good thing because it builds up the body of Christ. If we at Christ Church Lutheran really want to be or know we are or want proof of it or somehow affirmation that we are a place of prayer and healing for all people, it must include confession and it must include this announcement of God's grace that forgives us from whatever it is that has been holding us back from seeing and experiencing God's grace more fully. The problem that the early reformers had was that the church's practice of insisting that we make some kind of satisfaction for our sin, this was the problem for them. The reformers taught, and today we are invited to affirm, that our forgiveness does not depend on anything that we offer, only what God offers. So, for you Lutherans in the crowd, you know about the Augsburg Confession, right? It's our central teaching. It summarizes scripture and it summarizes Lutheran faith and teaching. And in Article 4 of the Augsburg Confession, it says, 
It is taught among us that we cannot obtain forgiveness of sin and righteousness before God by our own merits, works, or satisfactions, but that we receive forgiveness of sin and become righteous before God by grace, for Christ's sake, through faith. This article of the Augsburg Confession is kind of like the central heating system of a huge castle. From this warmth and energetic center, the grace of God relates to every church doctrine and every church practice, and then it goes into every nook and cranny of our lives. The important thing to remember, nothing we do saves us. No matter how noble and self-sacrificing our deeds are, no matter how strong our faith is or our desire to be saved, none of these contribute even one milligram to our salvation. We are saved by the grace of God alone. Nowhere is this more clearly evident than in our understanding of baptism. In baptism, as in communion, God comes to us. We don't come to God. Therefore, we believe that it is entirely proper to baptize infants as well as adults. We'll see that next week in a joyful baptism. Now, the Anabaptists in the time of Martin Luther said it's not right to baptize people unless they have some conscious faith and some trust that they could show in God. Therefore, for them, baptizing infants was precluded. It was considered invalid. To the casual observer, it might appear as if it was only a slight difference between Anabaptists and Lutherans. Um, But nothing could be farther from the truth, said Martin Luther. He said, if you don't believe in infant baptism, you don't believe in baptism at all. The very essence of baptism is seen when an infant who has no particular desire to be baptized or no conscious faith is brought to the font to receive this gracious gift of God's love and forgiveness. Baptizing an infant is a clear demonstration that we are not saved by anything by what we do or believe or desire, but by the grace of God alone. The same applies to adult baptisms as well, for adults also come to the font without any claim or entitlement. The water with the word of God conveys to them the grace of God apart from anything good or bad that they have done. The reason the church instructs adults prior to baptism is not to make them deserving of baptism, but to help them understand more fully how truly magnificent and mysterious God's grace really is, the grace that is bestowed upon them in baptism. Lutherans are sometimes accused of not encouraging people then to do good works or do good things because, well, why should we? Because we're saved by God's grace, right? But hopefully that is not true either. Good works are the fruit that is born when the fact of salvation connects with us 
in our heads and in our hearts. Good works are the result of, not the prerequisite for, salvation. By the same token, attending worship, reading scripture, praying regularly, helping one's neighbor, they're all a result of God's grace that has come to us and is working in us and through us. They're not conditions which we must first meet in order to deserve or acquire God's grace. So, a man died and appeared at the gates of heaven. And St. Peter told him that he was welcome to enter, but he needed a thousand points to do so. That should be pretty easy, thought the man. I was an active Lutheran all my life, he said to St. Peter. Good, that's 50 points. I sang in the choir. Good, that's 50 points. I dropped out of the choir when I couldn't sing anymore. Peter said, good, that's 100 points. (laughs) And now the man started to get nervous. So he said, kind of desperately, well, one of my cousins is a Lutheran pastor, and I have an aunt who used to be a missionary. Okay, I'll give you 50 points for that too, said Peter. Good grief, the man said. I need 1,000 points to get into heaven, and I only have 250. At that rate, the only way I'll ever get into heaven is by the grace of God alone. And Peter said, That's worth 750 points. Come on in. So how many gods does it take to save a human being? Only one. And that human being doesn't even have to want to be saved. That is the nature of God the Father. And that is the mission and purpose of God's Son, Jesus Christ, and of the Holy Spirit. The grace of God, freely given, has set you free. So go and be free indeed. Amen.